We've been traveling uh, through Luke's account of Jesus' life uh, on and off for the last three years. I have a distinct memory in about October 2020. Uh, I can't remember how, mu- how much of a level of lockdown we were in, but I remember setting up uh, a tripod with a camera at Bushby Brook with me in the brook trying to say something about Jesus' baptism in the River Jordan. Um, so we've been there for a while. So we're, we're going to be landing in at chapter 20. So just to give us a, a few bearings, um, that character that we've been seeing over the last few weeks in Isaiah, you know, that promised king descended from David, that saving, suffering servant, that conquering divine warrior that uh, comes to life in the person of Jesus as we meet him in the pages of Luke. In the early chapters of Luke, we have Jesus' journey into the world. God himself, uh, the Son of God, uh, coming into history and becoming like one of us. And then we have uh, Jesus' journey uh, through Galilee. Uh, We're told he is the one the Spirit of the Lord is upon. And he calls people to follow him. He says that one day he will suffer. He will be killed and three days later will be raised. And he said, if anyone would come after me, if anyone be my disciple, uh, you must lay down your life. You must take up your cross daily and follow him. And at that point, Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. He enters his journey uh, to that city uh, where his death would take place. And last time we were in Luke's gospel, it was just before Easter, uh, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. You know the time with the, the, the palm branches, the shouts of praise, from the crowd, the grumbles of disapproval from the religious leaders. And in Luke's account, the the tears of Jesus as he weeps over this city that seems so far away from God. And we're told, uh, once he's in Jerusalem, uh, Jesus goes into the temple every day to teach. And it says, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the leaders among the people were trying to kill him, yet they could not find any way to do it. Because all the people hung on his words. So this morning we join Jesus on his journey to the cross. And we're going to be picking up things uh, this morning. Page 1054, uh, Luke chapter 20. And Fiona's going to come and read for us uh, this morning. And um, you think you're getting 18 verses. You're going to get one extra. We're going to go all the way to 19. Don't say I don't give you a treat every now and again. So this morning's reading is Luke chapter 20, verses 1 to 19. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, We don't know where it was from. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one they also beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. 
he sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. This is the word of the Lord. So we find Jesus at the end of chapter 19. He's, he's there teaching uh, in the temple. The chief priests uh, and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people, uh, what are they trying to do? They're, they're trying to get Jesus out of the way. They want to kill him. And so what does Jesus do? Does he, does he go in for a bit of, a bit of um, conflict management, a bit of, bit of resolution, a bit of compromise, a bit of diffusing the situation? Or we've just heard what he does. Far from it. And in fact, 19 verses later, uh, at the end, uh, we heard the teachers of the law, the chief priests, what are they doing? They're, they're looking for a way to arrest him immediately, straight away, because they knew he'd spoken this parable, this, this story against them. But they didn't because they were afraid of the people. If anything, the religious leaders are even more intent on their determination to take Jesus out of the picture. And what Jesus does in these verses before us is expose and bring into the light what's really going on. See, these verses, I think, were a, were a call to those religious leaders and continue to be a call today to anybody who hears them to avoid making the journey that these religious leaders are making, the journey that, down the road that they've gone. We might find Jesus making a journey to the cross, but at this moment, we find the religious leaders taking a journey that ultimately will lead to them being completely broken and completely crushed. Jesus says the religious leaders here, well, they're a bit like the builders down at Cafe 55 when they started on site. They're clearing away the site and they, they come across this lump of stone. And they kind of look at it and kind of go, well, what's that for? They always, uh -huh. Do we need it? I don't know. You ask the boss, nah, he doesn't care. And so what do they do? They, they, they just put it on the sign. It might be useful later on. And if not, we'll just, we'll just chuck it in the skip. And yet, it turns out that that lump of stone that they're stumbling over, they're putting on the side, that they're thinking of chucking in the skip, is the very foundation stone for the building they're looking to build. That stone that the building is set on and built around. Isn't that Jesus' punchline? The end of the second half of verse 17. Uh, Jesus reaches back to Psalm 118 to explain things. He says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken in pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. 
if I'd have had time this week, I'd have popped to a charity shop to find a couple of things I could smash to illustrate this. But I don't need to illustrate it. It's quite obvious, isn't it? You smash something on a stone, it breaks. If a stone falls on something, it smashes. That's the journey the religious leaders are on. What about us this morning? What about you? What about me? Is Jesus a rejected stone in our lives? Or is he the cornerstone, the very foundation stone of our lives? Is Jesus in our lives sort of being set to the side? Maybe we can fit him in when it's useful. Or is Jesus the foundation stone, the the very one on whom our life is built on and around? And so very simply this morning, I just want to ask two questions. What does it mean for Jesus to be the rejected stone? What does it mean for Jesus to be the cornerstone? Because he's quite clear, isn't he? He is the stone that is rejected. Jesus is the rejected stone. So we we, we pick it up, chapter 20, verse 1, page 1054, if you've closed your Bibles. It says, One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts, proclaiming the good news, the chief priests, the teachers of the Lord, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? And if you read the early chapters of Luke's account of Jesus' life, uh, one of the thing that, things that gets repeated again and again is that when Jesus teaches and speaks and acts, people are amazed. And it says they are amazed because Jesus teaches with such authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they listen to him. He's even able to declare somebody forgiven, something only God can do. And for the religious leaders, uh, this was Jesus taking a step far too far, overstepping the mark with what he's saying and doing. It's a claim to know what God is saying and a claim to be doing only what God can do. And yet, for those on the margins of life who encountered Jesus, those who uh, felt like they'd been sidelined on the edge of things, who were outsiders, What Jesus was saying and doing was wonderful. It truly was good news. God's mercy, God's kindness, uh, landing in people's lives, even though they don't deserve it. Landing in their lives and putting things right. And so the question the religious leaders ask of Jesus, we we already kind of know that it's not a genuine question, don't we? I don't know if you had the experience. uh, You're at home, somebody knocks on the door. You open the door, it's very clearly somebody's going to sell you something. Or what are we trained to? Can I see your ID badge? We want to know who they are. With Jesus, we've, we've got 19 chapters of his ID badge. We know who he is. This question is not genuine. The religious leaders have made their mind up about Jesus. They are sure that what he's teaching and the authority that he carries, they don't like it. And they want it rid. They want it gone. And so Jesus exposes this in a very Jesus-like way. When he's asked a question, what does Jesus do again and again? He asks another question. Verse 4, have a look. John's baptism, he says. Was it from heaven or of human origin? I'll answer your question if you answer mine, Jesus says. And he, he catches them at this point. Because if they say, well, it was from heaven... Why on earth have they been ignoring John the Baptist? John the Baptist who who pointed ahead to Jesus and said, there's one greater than me, come and follow him. He's the one who's going to bring in God's kingdom. 
they said from heaven, why are they rejecting Jesus? The very one John was pointing to. The one who came with God's authority. And if they said, well, well, John's, John's authority, you know, well, his baptism, just a human invention. Well, the crowd in that moment would turn on him. It would turn on them even. John was hugely popular. Something of what he said resonated with people's lives. So the religious leaders duck the issue. And they just go, I don't know. But Jesus, do you see, doesn't leave it there, does he? He starts to tell this story of the farmers who rent, uh, rent out, uh, well, start renting a vineyard to show what's really going on. And if you were standing in Jerusalem and you were looking around, I mean, the landscape would have been filled with vineyards. It was a very familiar picture. And for God's people as well, they knew, they knew Isaiah. And the picture that being God's people meant they were God's vineyard. They were like a vineyard that God himself had planted in order to bear good fruit. And so in Jesus' parable, we're told the owner of the vineyard, God himself, we sent his servants, the Old Testament prophets, uh, to go to the vineyard to find the good fruit that should be there. What happens? Servant number one, verse 10, beaten, sent away. Servant number two, verse 11, is beaten, treated shamefully, sent away empty-handed. Servant number three, Verse 13, wounded, thrown out. It gets progressively worse. When God's message came to God's people through God's prophet, what did they do? They rejected it. The pages of the Old Testament. Verse 13, the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. And then that moment, hopefully in some of your minds, you're going, hold on, that's, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Remember the voice of the father? Speaking at Jesus' baptism and the transfiguration, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. And what's the decision the farmers come to? Well, they put their heads together. They come up with their plan. If we kill the son, all of this, as they look around at the vineyard, will be ours. So what does the owner of the vineyard do? He does exactly what we expect him to do. He rejects those farmers because they have rejected him. And instead, in verse 16, we're told he will give the vineyard to others. And as we see that this parable speaks of Jesus, we're, we're discovering that incredibly, that the rejection of Jesus, the rejection of the Son, opens the way for others from all nations including people like you and me, to be included as God's people. Now this parable, this story is 2,000 years old. Its roots go far deeper than that. And yet, the train of thoughts of these farmers in the vineyard is the very air that we breathe in the culture around us. The farmer said, we want to enjoy everything of life in the vineyard without the owner. Mark Sayers, who's uh, an Australian uh, church leader, leads a church in Melbourne, but is also a, a Christian who, who just helps, uh, helps us understand what's going on in the culture around us. He says, uh, in the Western world, what we want is the kingdom, the kingdom of God, but without the king. We want a world of human rights, of dignity, of freedom, of love of equality, 
Something that looks very much like the kingdom of God that Jesus comes to bring about. And yet we don't want Jesus. We don't want the king. We don't want Jesus at the center. And so Jesus becomes the rejected stone. The world we live in says instead it's, it's down to you to find meaning and purpose for your life. You've got to find it deep inside yourself. You need to determine. You need to decide. You need to define who you are and how you're going to live your life. And if anybody questions what you're doing, how do you reply? We're taught to reply, on whose authority can you tell me what to do? You know, this ancient story is, is very close to where we are now. Now, when it comes to Jesus, when he speaks of life as it's meant to be lived, on what authority? What authority does Jesus have to, to shape my life? Well, he comes with the authority of the author of life. Here is, here is the son who is loved by the father. So we live in a confusing and confused culture because it wants the kingdom, but it doesn't want the king. What happens when that, that goes on? So that quote from Psalm 18, 118, sorry. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And Jesus does not want you, he does not want me, journeying down this route that the religious leaders are going down. Why? Because it leads to being crushed and broken. Instead, Jesus invites you, he invites me, to make him the cornerstone. Because Jesus is the rejected stone, but he's also the cornerstone. Jesus' story is the story of the Son. In the, in the parable of the vineyard. He is the son who is killed. He, his death is the one that, that opens the way for people like you and me to be included as God's people. Somehow, God's wisdom and power is able to take the very worst of what humanity can do, killing the author of life on a cross, and turn it into the opportunity for people like you and me to experience the very best thing. Life with Jesus, now and in eternity. To have Jesus as your cornerstone is to have Jesus as your foundation stone. The, the one your life is to be built on and around. And now I suspect, looking around this morning, there'll be few of us who are as far down the road as these religious leaders, who are actually set in their minds against Jesus, against his teaching, against his authority. I don't think there'll be many of us like that. What about those things that Jesus teaches on that kind of crunch with the culture that we live in or crunch in some of the ways that perhaps we're living our lives? What happens then? You know, when we skim through Luke's gospel and we, we draw out some of Jesus' teaching, when we, we hear him talking about loving and forgiving the very people who hurt us, all that call to daily lay down our lives, not for what we can gain, but so that we can serve. Not to be storing up more and more for ourselves, but to be living open-handedly. To be honoring marriage as a, a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. To be using what we have to make friends for eternity, not just to make life more comfortable now. To be not dependent on our own abilities and our strengths, but dependent on God and his provision through prayer. Traveling through Luke's gospel, it's not, hard, it's not hard to find those places where what Jesus says crunches 
with what the world around us says and perhaps crunches with some of the ways we are living our lives. In those moments, we can do what happens in the DeVas household when we discover something we're not really using anymore, we don't need anymore, or we think's worn out. What we do uh, in the process of having a clear out in the DeVas household is we identify the item. We go, well, we don't use that anymore. We don't need that anymore. It's, it's worn out. It's out of date. It goes to the back bedroom. You're joking because you do exactly the same. And then the next thing joins it in the back bedroom. And after a while, a little, little mound of things appear. And you go, I'm going to have to do something about that. It gets lifted up. Cupboard door gets opened. In the cupboard, close the door. Sorted. The process repeats a few times until eventually you open the cupboard door and you go, hmm, going to have to deal with that stuff. So we get it all out. And it tends to go into three piles. Uh, stuff we're going to give away to others. Uh, stuff that's going to go to the charity shop and stuff that's going to go off to the skip at the tip. The thing is, we can do some of that with Jesus' teaching. We just start to think, is it about out of, a bit out of date? A bit worn out? It's not useful. We'll just put it over there in the back bedroom. And the little mounds appears and we tuck it away in the cupboard. And then we're faced, are we gonna, what are we going to do with it? We, is it going to land in the skip? But there is another option. And it's an option my children regularly teach me. And that is, you go into the cupboard and you get it back out again and you start using it. And perhaps that is just a little picture for us as a church community and as individuals. That those, those things which are crunching with the culture that we live in or crunching with the way we're living our lives. Uh, Jesus is teaching that we need to get out of the cupboard again and discover afresh. To discover that if we want the kingdom, we need to want the king. To find out that we need to live our lives built around that foundation stone of Jesus Christ. Because he will not give way. He will not crumble. He will not be destroyed. To discover that the teaching and authority of Jesus is exactly what we need. Even when it's crunching with the world around us. Even when it's crunching with our own lives. Because when Jesus teaches and carries his authority... He doesn't do it dominating over us. Remember, the foundation stone we're building on it is the very stone that was rejected. The very one who was thrown on the skip for us when he died on the cross. In order that he might become our foundation stone. So this morning, how, how are we supposed to respond to this? I want to just take us uh, to Psalm 118, to where uh, those verses that Jesus quotes are taken from. Uh, if you want to turn to it, you, you can do, you don't have to. It's on page 617, Psalm 118, verse 22. It says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Amen.